day to all of us. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to go with me to the book of John, chapter 3. And you can stand for the reading of the word. That's all right. Amen. Praise God for that. And they've given me some extra time. I told, uh, I told Brother Tierney earlier, I said, look, I'm like a 30-minute in-and-out kind of guy, all right? So if you give me too much time, then that just means you're going to get out early. <laughs> and, and nobody's going to be upset about that, praise God. But we want the Lord to move today, and we want God to have his way. I want to look this morning at perhaps one of the most famous conversations in the Bible. While there are a lot of important conversations that were had, this is perhaps one of the most crucial conversations ever recorded in Scripture. And when you have a crucial conversation with Jesus, it's liable to change your world. Can somebody say amen? John chapter 3 today and Verse number one, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Because humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Can you say amen? amen. Heavenly Father, we love you today and we thank you, God, for your mercy we thank you for the spirit that we feel in this place this morning. And God, right now, I'm asking that you would open up our minds and open up our hearts to receive from your word. Let your word wash us, God. Let it make us better today than we were yesterday. And we won't fail to give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And somebody said amen today. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. The group known as the Pharisees in Scripture often get a bad, they get a bad rap. We cringe when we read about these guys, and really for good reason, because they present themselves as the high and mighty who rarely exercise any mercy or compassion on those that are around them. In fact, there is an instance in Scripture where we get to listen in on one of the prayers of these Pharisees and we hear him actually thanking God that he's better than the guy who's praying next to him. I mean, the nerve of this guy, right? They thought, the Pharisees, that they were doing the will of God. 
They went above and beyond what Scripture said and what the law said because they thought that it would make them more loved than accepted by God. Israel, as you know, had taken ten commandments and they, that God had given Moses, and they added, they added about 603 of their own laws and their own ideas to it. And what they got as a result of that was something that you'd had to have a law degree to figure out. <laughs> and that's what these Pharisees were. They were the guys who went around interpreting the law and enforcing the law. They were judge, jury, and executioner. These Pharisees were a constant sore spot for Jesus. They tried to trap him. They tried to catch him. They tried to marginalize and minimize his earthly ministry. And so because of these things, you and I, when we read the Bible, we tend to see these Pharisees as the bad guys of the Bible, right? We do. And yet, upon further reflection in Scripture, we see that that is not always the case. That's not always the case. In fact, let me say today, be very careful about putting broad labels on individual people. Because in every group that you think is against you, you're liable to find one or two people that are at least curious and want to know more about you. For every faction that you think is out to hurt you, you might just find one or two that are willing to get to know you a little better if you'd only give them a chance. And that's what brought Nicodemus to Jesus on this particular occasion. Jesus has agreed to a one-on-one -on -one meeting with this Pharisee. He's agreed to have a crucial conversation. Everybody say crucial conversation with Nicodemus. Now, a crucial conversation is defined as a discussion between two or more people where, number one, the stakes are high, Number two, opinions may vary. And number three, emotions run strong, right? The stakes are high, opinions vary, and emotions run strong. And when you have those three components in a conversation, you are having a crucial conversation. And this conversation in John chapter 3 certainly fits that description. Now, I'm going to tell you, Nicodemus didn't get, to be a, didn't, get, he didn't get to be a Pharisee by being a bad guy. He had done some good things. He kept the law. He had passed more than a few tests to get where he was. He was respected in his community. He was respected in his profession. In fact, he was part of the prestigious Sanhedrin Council. His peers looked up to him. He he, he was by all counts a man who loved God and was doing what he knew to do to the best of his ability. But when Jesus tells a man like this that he must be born again, you have to imagine Nicodemus' surprise. Now to this point, Jesus had only come to the weak and to the poor. To this point, Jesus had only ministered to those with physical needs and infirmities. To this point, Jesus' followers are made up of a, of a mixed bag of the mixed up, if you will. But here, Jesus encounters a man of influence. He encounters a man of means, a man of stature, a man of wealth. And he tells this man, you, sir, must 
be born again. Let me just take a moment today and remind all of us that everybody needs Jesus. Let me remind us today that everyone, not just the poor, not just the broken, not just the needy, but everybody needs Jesus. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus agrees to take this late night meeting in part is to let you and I know that being born again isn't just for a certain group. It's not just for the awkward. It's not just for the outcast. It isn't just for the lower class or the desperate. No, being born again is for the unrighteous, it's for the righteous, and it's for the self-righteous. Right? Everybody must be born again. It's for whosoever will, let them come. Mm. And so I can see the confusion on Nicodemus' face. He's never had anybody tell him that before. Usually he's the one who's given the spiritual directive. And so when he meets Jesus and Jesus says, you must be born again, Nicodemus, I can imagine Nicodemus isn't used to that, and yet he's intrigued. He's intrigued. Nicodemus had to endure years of learning and hard work to get where he was. He had attended the best schools. He had sat under the greatest teachers. He had... He had taken years to accomplish all the things that he had accomplished. And here comes this Jesus, this new guy who hadn't done any of that stuff. And yet God is clearly with him. He's doing miracles. He's doing signs. He's doing wonders. I mean, Nicodemus is curious about this Jesus. How is a guy like him doing stuff like that? Hmm. And with opposing ideas, and with high stakes, and with strong emotion, Nicodemus starts off this crucial conversation with Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, 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 now right off the bat here, Nicodemus is acknowledging the fruit that he sees out of Jesus. He's pointing to the fact that only God could have done these things, and yet Nicodemus is having trouble with the packaging. He's having a hard time with the presentation because Nicodemus was conditioned to believe that it had to look like X, and it had to look like Y. He knew that there was something to this Jesus, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it because it didn't fit the description of what he was accustomed to. And Nicodemus is wrestling with this idea. He's wrestling with this idea of, on the one hand, I can't deny what I've seen and what I've heard, and yet, on the other hand, he's an uneducated nomad from Nazareth. And nothing good comes out of Nazareth, right? I mean, Nicodemus knows that what the Messiah is supposed to look like, and well, this guy ain't it. Ladies and gentlemen, be very careful that you don't miss God's work in your life because he didn't show up the way you thought he would. Mm. 
Don't, 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 don't miss that. Make sure that you don't get so fixated on what the answer is supposed to look like that you miss it when it shows up. Oh, it might look strange to you. It might not show up the way you thought it would or the way you expected it to. But be open to the fact that God works in mysterious ways. Be open to the fact that God's wonders will be performed. Be open to the fact that God may not come through the eastern gate. He might sneak in through the sheep gate. Be open to the fact that it may not be what you thought. He was despised. He was rejected. He was the chief cornerstone that the builder said, no, baby, no, but he came to save the world. Oh, Messiah has come. Mm. Nicodemus is having a little trouble with all this. And yet, and yet he addresses Jesus here with respect. He calls him rabbi. Doesn't make any assumptions about Jesus doesn't minimize or marginalize Jesus. No, even though he's not sure about Jesus, he still approaches him with respect. Mm. You'll always get further with people when you approach them with respect. Whether you understand them or not, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, let me tell you, if you lead with respect, You'll get a lot more done in any discourse that you're involved in if you lead with respect. You ought to care how it looks. You ought to care how it sounds. You ought to care how you come across. Can I get an amen from somebody here today? Mm. Notice with me, if you will, that in this crucial conversation, Nicodemus wanted to talk about Jesus but Jesus came to talk about Nicodemus. Yeah. Jesus wanted to talk to Nicodemus. He, he, he already knew who Nicodemus was, but Jesus wanted to reveal who he was to Nicodemus. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the very essence of having a crucial conversation with Jesus. Because he already knows who you and I are. And he already knows what we aren't. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we're not capable of. But see, what he wants to do is he wants to reveal himself to you and I. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him and not just be aware of his existence, but he wants us to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. He wants us to know him and experience him in a very specific and very real way. So Jesus doesn't answer Nicodemus' question directly. Instead, he says this, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, by making a statement like this, Jesus addresses Nicodemus's core belief. He goes straight for the jugular, if you will, of Nicodemus's theology and understanding. See, the Pharisees believed in a type of the new birth, but it was only for those that had had the wrong kind of birth the first time. Right? They did. 
And in one statement right here, Jesus confronts everything that Nicodemus thought he knew. He found the part of Nick's belief system that Nick didn't even think needed to be adjusted. And he said, Nicodemus, I'm here to tell you, everybody has to be born again. Now, now Nicodemus would have agreed with that. He would have agreed that the Gentiles and the Samaritans needed this, right? He would have said, yeah, yeah, you're right. The, the Gentiles, they, they need to be born again. The Samaritans need to be born. I mean, they're, they're, they're second-class citizens. They, they, they need a new birth because, because they were born the wrong way the first time. But, but wait a minute, Jesus. The, the Jews, I, I, the, the Jews and especially the good ones like me, the Pharisees, I mean, we don't need to be born a, a, again. We, we were born the right way the first time. Mm. I mean, Abraham is our father. Don't you know who our daddy is, Jesus? Have you seen the diploma on my wall, Jesus? Yeah, I didn't go to some community college. I was Ivy League, baby. Have you seen? Have you, have you seen? Yeah. Did you, did you see the, the car that I rolled up into this meeting in, Jesus? Did you? I mean, I, I'm in a certain tax bracket, Jesus. What? I, I, I don't understand. I, I was born the right way. Don't you know who I, I am? Man? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. And Jesus looks directly at Nicodemus in the face and says, Nick, you're not hearing me. I'm not telling you that you need to be made better. I'm telling you that you need to be made over. I want you to hear me today. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. And he did not come to make good people better. Jesus Christ came to make dead people alive. No, he didn't come to make bad people good. He didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people raise up and walk again. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I've come to tell you, you must be born again. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. you got to go down in the name that is above every name. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You've got to have a new birth experience. Experience. Mm. Mm. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you, you've already had the horizontal birth. You've got to have the vertical birth. You've got to have that birth that comes from above. Yeah. Nicodemus is shocked. And so he asked the question, seemingly incredulously, what do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? What do you mean? How can a man, I love this, sounds like my teenage kids. I mean, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Kind of seems like a question you ought to know the answer to, Nicodemus. No. I can see where maybe he's asking this a little tongue-in-cheek. 
But there in that crucial conversation, in the shadow of the evening, with the cool breeze blowing, Jesus takes the time to explain to Nicodemus the nature of the second birth. Jesus said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and of the Spirit. I want you to notice that that's a capital S on that Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Jesus says the wind blows wherever it wants to blow. Just as you can hear the wind, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes, so you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, when Jesus uses these words, these are not foreign words to Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows these words all too well because Jesus is using the Old Testament scripture here, which Nicodemus is well-versed in, by the way, to bring in an image of water and wind and spirit. And water and wind were always used in the Old Testament to describe what would happen when the Messiah came. So when Jesus starts talking about water and wind, he's really letting Nicodemus know that Messiah has come. Messiah is on the scene. Let me show you what I mean. Ezekiel chapter 36, the Old Testament prophet, God told him, he said, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water element, right? And I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. And I will put my spirit, notice the capital S, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel's told by God, I'll clean you with water and I'll give you a new heart and I'll give you a new soul, but then I'm going to give you my spirit. Capital S, the same capital S that Jesus told Nicodemus about. And in the very next chapter, Ezekiel gets a vision of what God just told him. In Ezekiel 37, he says, Then he said unto me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they might live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, and the wind blows into the dry bones, and this water, wind, and spirit combination brings about a vast army. And as a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus is not familiar with the water, wind, and spirit connection. He knew about it. He, he had memorized Ezekiel's prophecy. And Jesus is using language here that Nicodemus understands to talk to him about and to show him that the promised salvation has come. 
Jesus is using language that Nicodemus can understand to help him to know that salvation has rushed in like a flood and it is blown in like a mighty wind. Oh, I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad that Jesus is still willing to speak to you and I in terms that we can understand. Mm. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just speak one language. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just speak one way, but he knows how each and every one of us can best understand him, and he's willing to meet us where we are. And Nicodemus, whether I fit into your paradigm or not, or whether I'm what you expected or not, the new birth is here and you must participate in water and in spirit. Nicodemus is still having trouble. He, he still can't get it. And so he says, how are these things possible? So Jesus says, all right. I'm dealing with, a, dealing with a hard head here. All right, I, well, I, I guess I'm going to have to go back a little bit further. So Jesus goes back a little further to a reference that Nicodemus had read about all his life. In verse 14, he said, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And Nicodemus remembers. Nicodemus says, yeah, I remember. I remember that when Israel was dying in the wilderness of fiery serpent bites because they, they didn't want to obey God, that, that in order to deliver them and save them, God did instruct Moses to fashion a serpent out of bronze and, and to put it on a large pole, and he commanded all who had been infected by the serpent bite to come by and look upon it, and when they did, they would be healed miraculously. I remember that. And as Jesus is laying out all of this for Nicodemus so that Nicodemus can understand him, in that moment, Jesus pivots and he shifts into one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. He had just said, like Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness so everybody could be healed. He had just said that, and then Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. The most popular and quoted verse in scripture was one that was taken out of a deeply personal and crucial conversation with Jesus. Let me tell you, in his very first private conversation in John's gospel, Jesus had pointed them to the cross. Then, he, then when, he, when he cleansed the temple, he said, destroy the temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it back up again. He wasn't talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple not made with hands. He was talking about what was going to happen at Calvary. And now, Calvary won't actually happen till the end of John's gospel, but at the start of John's gospel, Jesus is already talking about it, and he's already pointing to it. And here he is in his second conversation in John's gospel, and what's he doing? He's pointing Nicodemus to Calvary. 
He's pointing Nicodemus to the cross and he says, Nicodemus, you've been bitten by the serpent of sin. You've been influenced by sin and you're perishing from the wages of that sin. And, I'm, I, and it's going to kill you, Nicodemus, if you don't do anything about it. The law of Moses that you, have, that you have studied and that you teach and that you're so adherent to, while it was able to diagnose the problem, it could not remedy the problem. And Nicodemus, just like the problem, had to be put on a pole in the wilderness to save them. He said, I'm telling you, carnality has to be put on a cross to save you. Just like the serpent was put on a pole in the wilderness to save them, I'm telling you, carnality has to be put on a cross to save you. And you got the snake on one side and you got the lamb on the other. And I'm here to tell you, a lamb beats a snake every time. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your station or status in life, Jesus Christ has come to put life into our dead bones. He's come to give us life and life more abundantly. And if we'll connect with the water and if we'll connect with the Spirit, then He will make us New. Oh, if you're glad today that you've connected with the water and the Spirit. Mm, hallelujah. I'm closing. And I told you I wasn't going to be very long. And Paul, Paul came along and said it like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 23. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, notice with me why this happens. It happens for our sake. For our sake. For our sake, the one that had no sin became sin so that we might become righteousness. What does that mean? It means that Jesus took sin that wasn't his to give us righteousness that wasn't ours. Jesus took a sin that didn't belong to him to give me righteousness that didn't belong to me. Oh, marvel not. That I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Today, we all have to have a crucial conversation with Jesus. We all have to get to a point in our life where we're willing to have a crucial conversation with Jesus. Mm. I got to tell you, it's crucial because the stakes are indeed very high. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about where you spend eternity. The stakes couldn't be higher. It's crucial because our opinions and our ideas may vary. It's crucial because emotions indeed run strong. But I got to tell you today, Jesus Christ is willing to speak to you and I personally. 
and he's willing to speak to you and I in a way that we can understand. You see, Jesus doesn't only want to speak with the multitudes. and He doesn't just want to speak to the crowds. No, Jesus came to have a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, crucial conversation with you. He's willing to meet you in broad daylight. He's willing to meet you under the cover of night. He's willing to meet you at home. He's willing to meet you in the church house. He's willing to meet you at Walmart. He's willing to meet you anywhere you want to meet him. But here's what I can tell you. Wherever you meet him, just know that you have to meet him. Wherever you have that crucial conversation with Jesus, just know that you must have a crucial conversation with Jesus. Because here's what I know. One of these days, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. And he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. Will you let him today? Why don't you stand to your feet with me right now? Jesus wants to have a crucial conversation with some people who haven't talked to him in a while. Or perhaps you never have. Are you willing today? Because if, if you'll let Jesus speak your language, then I promise you, he'll let you come to a place where you can speak his language. I'm talking about a heavenly language. <laughs> All signs point to Calvary today. All signs point to the cross. Can I invite you today to put down your pride? Can I invite you today to put your credentials aside, lay aside your resume, have a conversation with Jesus. The Messiah that you are looking for today is looking at you. We've all been bitten by the serpent today. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. No doubt about that today. But Jesus, because of our, our sins are different, it doesn't make any of us better than anybody else. But Jesus Christ came. He became sin for all of us. And we all need to be born again. We're getting ready to sing a song today. Every head bow and eye close. Come on, no, no looking around today because this message isn't for your neighbor. It's for you. Have you had a crucial conversation with Jesus? I wonder today, as we get ready to sing, who might be willing to come, who might be willing to come to this altar today and have a conversation with the Messiah. I wonder who might be willing to come before you leave this place today. Would you come and let Jesus talk your language today? He wants to meet with you. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he can help you. And he can give you hope today. Come on. Why don't you lift your hands all across this place? Come on. There are some crucial conversations. There are some crucial conversations that need to happen today. Come on, let's sing. Will you come? Come on, fill me up. Come on, do you need to have a crucial conversation today? Come on, maybe you need to tell God what's on your mind, what's on your heart. Maybe you need to lay yourself on an altar. 
Maybe you're here today and you need direction. Maybe you need God to order your steps. Whatever it is, He wants to talk to you today. Come on, lift your hands. Come on, let's talk to the Lord today. Oh, fill me up, Lord. Somebody needs to have a conversation with Jesus today. I will open up.